welcome to the Press Forward podcast. I'm Nathan Wrigley, and I'd like to thank you for joining us again. And if this is your first time with us, I hope that you like it, and that you find it useful. We release the Press Forward podcast each week, and we'd love it if you added us to your list of podcasts, the ones that you consume regularly. You can do this by going to your podcast player and searching for WP and Op. Today, we're going to be talking to Swahili M. But before that, let me tell you a little bit about what WP and Up do, and how you might get involved. We're a registered charity with a mission to support and promote positive mental health within the WordPress community. So join more than 4,200 community members taking the next steps towards better mental health. Connect with our team to discover your best personal journey. Build companionship connect with professionals, and develop skills to cope. You can find out more and become a member today for free at wpnop.org forward slash join. WPNOP deliver free to end user support. To provide tens of thousands of hours of support, we need your help. It costs more than a quarter of a million pounds annually to fund WPNOP, and this is made possible by your donations. So, Visit wpnop.org forward slash donate to ensure that we can continue to meet the needs of our community. We'd like to offer a shout out to some of our sponsors. And so, Automatic, Get Dolly, Funnel Packs, Weeglot, Winning WP, WPMU Dev, and Yoast. We really do appreciate you helping us out. If you'd like to share this message and support us, please use the pre-written tweet, which you can find at bit.ly forward slash WP and up hyphen thanks. Thank you. So today we're speaking to Swahili M. She works for BlogVault in Bangalore, India, in their marketing department. We have a wide-ranging chat today about a multitude of subjects. To start with, we discuss Swahili's passion for reading and how it shaped her early years. In more recent years, she's devoured 300 books per year, which is pretty remarkable, I think. Then we go on to talk about the tech scene in India, and Bangalore in particular. Bangalore, you see, is like Silicon Valley, but in India. Startups are popping up all over the place, and the tech industry is booming. As everywhere else where tech jobs dominate, it shapes the city itself. Costs rise, and there's tension between the former way of living and the new way of living, in which many feel the pace of change is too fast. How do key workers such as teachers and nurses keep pace with the high salaries that some people in the tech industry are expecting to earn? We then take the conversation in a different direction, talking about Swahili herself and her role at BlogVault, how she ended up in marketing, which, by her own admission, was not a career path that she imagined for herself. We end with a lengthy chat about how Swahili manages her ADHD, how it's impacted her life, and how her company has been able to assist her in the expectations that they set for the work that she produces. It's a lovely conversation, and I always enjoy learning about life in other parts of the world. 
Sadly though, the audio quality on Swahili's side wasn't that great. It's certainly listenable, but the audio gremlins were definitely out in force on the day that we recorded this podcast, so apologies for that. And so, without further ado, here's Swahili M. Well, uh, my name is Swahili and I am from Bangalore, which is in India. I am currently working for a company called Blogwalls, which is a backup and security plugin for WhatsApp. I have been here for around a year, a year and a half almost now. I'm working on the marketing team, which was a different career choice than what I originally thought I'd be doing. You know, as a kid, I had these dreams to be a marine engineer and then I became a doctor and then I became a teacher and then I became a psychologist. But I think I finally found ground in marketing. Aside from work, I, I love to read. So I read a lot of books. I read about 100 books a year for the last three years now. I also am a lot into music. I sing. So I've been trained in classical Indian music for about seven years. And then I had two, three more years of Western vocal training. And I'm quite a bit into fitness as well. I try to play badminton. I do yoga, dance, and recently football, which is very new to me. You know, I've always wanted to try out that sport, but I never really could. I didn't have that chance in school. And that's actually where that's a little connected to how I got to know about WPMF in the first place. I think it was last year, in the mid- middle of last year, where um, I was coming back from a football session. It was one of those very first football sessions that I had ever attended. So I was particularly feeling low about myself in terms of fitness and how my hand-eye coordination, for instance. And I happened to see the WPNF podcast and I thought, you know what, I should listen to this. And I remember it was the one with Paul Lacey. And uh, he was talking about burnout and mental bandwidth and how overloading work can have a toll on you and your personal life. And it was something that I could really relate to. And yeah, so from there, I've been listening to pretty much every episode that they've been doling out. It really helped me feel like more like a part of a community because up till then, I really felt like maybe I was the only one feeling this way. And, you know, maybe I'm overreacting in terms of how I was working and how it was taking a toll on me. And yeah, I reached out to you a few months back to talk about this. And yeah, I'm really happy to be here. It sounds like Swahili reads an awful lot of books. About 300 a year, she said. That's roughly one book every three to four days. Well, this is wonderful. But how on earth does anyone manage to read as much as that? That's not really happened this year so far. And maybe I didn't reach that number last year. But before that, I was in college and I used to have a lot of time on my hands. I used to be done with college by around 12 p.m. or 2 p.m. every day. So I had the rest of the day to sit and read. And I think ever since I was a child, I've loved, just loved to read. In fact, I got glasses, the glasses I'm wearing right now. I first found out that I have a vision problem when I was in the second grade, which is quite young for a child to get glasses. That's when I got glasses the first time. And they told me it was probably because of how much I used to read. I would wake up in the night and try to read by this light that was next to my bedroom window outside the house. So that's how obsessed I used to be with books. And I think that's really just made me read extremely fast. So I would very easily be able to finish literally like a book throughout the night. I would just stay up and read the book. And I think that's how I managed to read 100 books a year during 
high education, but I think last year I hit about 74, which is lesser. And this year actually started very badly for me. I was having this weird reader's block. I don't know what else to call it. I just couldn't seem to bring myself to read for almost a month. And this was right at a time where I found this app where I can exchange books with random strangers. So I had this whole collection of books that I'd taken from people telling them I'll give it back to you in a week. And I just hadn't gotten gotten around to it. But I finally did, I think, two or three weeks back. And it's been good. I've been reading more books now. But I've been taking a little more slow. I don't think I will reach 100 books this year. To be very honest, I don't think there are a lot of books in my native language that I'm aware of. So I speak a mixture of, I think, four different languages at home. And uh, there's one called, called Canada, which is what we speak primarily in Bangalore. But I don't know how to read it. So I haven't really read a lot of books. I did learn it when I was younger, but I guess I just never picked up Canada that well to read books voraciously. So I'm more comfortable in, in, in English. And um, I think specifically reading books, you know, I'm not really into audiobooks per se, though a lot of people have tried to get me into it, but I just like the feel of a book and holding it and reading it and marking what I like. And yeah, it's been really fun. I think reading has really grounded me and helped me a lot in terms of who I am right now. Swahili lives in Bangalore, India, which I've heard is a bit of a tech hub I've never been there though, and so I asked her to explain what it's like working in tech in Bangalore. Bangalore is pretty much called the Silicon Valley of India. We've had this huge influx in the last 10, 15, 20 years almost of a lot of IT companies. So the level of technology here compared to maybe other metropolitan cities or even cities just around India, it's quite high here. You'll find a lot of techies here, a lot of people working with tech working in software, building software. This is pretty much the startup capital of India, for sure. Like if you just walk out on the road here and just go maybe a kilometer, you, I'm pretty sure you're going to find a startup somewhere or the other. If you just walk like a kilometer, you will definitely find a startup somewhere. So you have a lot of companies opening doors pretty much every day. And it's really good in terms of tech and how people have, they've really risen to the occasion of, absorbing the tech that's been here. Yeah, I think Bangalore is a pretty cool digital place in that. I know that in places like Silicon Valley and Cambridge in the UK, places that you might describe as tech hubs, the cost of living can be very high. Lots of opportunities and well-paid jobs mean that things like accommodation are in high demand and have high prices. I wondered if the same were true in Bangalore. To be very honest, I've lived here my entire life, 21 years now, and it's not just in terms of how it's affected the prices here, but I also think it's about the diversity we used to have. So back when I was a kid, you used to find every second person speaking Canada, speaking the native language. But right now, we have like almost a majority of people who are not from this state, forget cities, they're not even from this state, they're probably from northern India or the eastern side of India or, you know, from other countries. So you'll find most people speaking Hindi, which is the national language of India, but primarily spoken in the North. So you'll find a lot of people speaking Hindi and a lot of people speaking English. So there are certain areas in Bangalore which have sort of become the IT hubs. There's Electronic City, there's a place called Balandur, there's a place called Manuka Tech Park. 
places that don't need to be said. They definitely have a lot of techies living around there. I have a lot of friends from there as well. And it is super, super expensive to live in those areas because these are areas which aren't very developed. They were developed purely for the reason that people are going to come and set up companies, that tech companies are going to come and set up their branches there. You're only going to find probably an IT tech park with all the companies in it. And you'll find a few like fancy apartments outside it. There's nothing else. Like you won't find like smaller houses or uh, supermarkets or anything else, which uh, in comparison to the rest of the city. So it's definitely expensive that I have friends who are paying nearly twice the rent that I'm paying in my house for maybe an even smaller place. So it's definitely affected the, the, the economy here. But I also think it's really helped people who have bought land there and who have built stuff there and who are now like making a lot of money out of it. I know that in some of the tech hub areas, the cost of living has grown so high that people in non-tech jobs find it hard to make ends meet. I'm thinking about such people as teachers, nurses and other public servants. Well, this can be problematic. After all, we need those key workers in all areas of the country. I don't think it's that bad yet, but I do think that it might reach there soon. The thing that's making a bigger difference right now is having this sort of diversity that I was talking about. There is definitely a bit of a cultural divide in terms of how people are comfortable with the language here. You have people who have lived here their entire lives, you know, and they are so protective of the language that they do not like when people are not speaking their language. And if there's one thing that I have definitely observed about that is that there are a lot of people coming into Bangalore from other states and other countries but they're not really embracing the language here or trying to learn it. And that's forcing the people who have lived here their entire lives, which is, I mean, I don't want to really put it this way, but sort of like the middle class, like the people that you mentioned, say cab drivers or people who are in the service sector. So these are people who have probably lived here their entire lives and they are forced to deal with a lot of techies, a lot of people from IT companies. And I know for a fact that it's something that's really hard for them. Whenever I take a cab, I try to strike up a conversation with them and they tell me how difficult it's become for them to just communicate with people in Bangalore purely because of the language conflict there. So that does give rise to a bit of a social unrest as far as what I have seen, but I don't think it's that significant as it is in the examples that you mentioned. I wanted to move the conversation on to talk more about Swahili and what she does. So I began by asking her what she finds herself doing on a day-to-day basis. Day-to-day basis. I find myself writing a lot of things. I work with a lot of content. So I, I think I started off primarily with something called outreach. Then I moved on to a bit of content. I was writing content for a bit. And now I'm moving towards the PR and some bits of SEO as well. So I sort of dipped my hands into a lot of things. And right now, what I'm working on is our SEO and building our PR, sort of making sure we're out there and definitely handling our social media as well. It's been interesting to try out multiple things. I'm still yet to figure out which one of those I'm particularly skilled at. Many people talk about the career ladder, climbing up it, or perhaps just avoiding it. But it's clear that some people view their current job as a stepping stone to something different, better even. 
A career is now more about moving from job to job rather than staying in the same role for decades. I wondered if this was the pattern of working in India as well. Like that's a really cool question you asked because I was thinking about that even today. So I feel like there are two kinds of people that, are, that I can divide it into. There's uh, one type of people who want to be in a company for a very, very long time and it pays off for them, especially if you're working in MNCs and some of the IT firms as well. The longer you stay, the better benefits you get, the more respect you get, the more money you make, which is pretty much everything that a typical Indian person would want. But on the other hand, we also have a lot of people from, say, I don't want to put it this way, but a little younger generation. And most of my peers and people around my age, people in their 20s and their 30s, are people who are looking for as much experience as they can. They want to build that portfolio. They want to build their skills. So they prefer to probably work in different companies and they're not looking to be in the same company for, you know, say, 10 or 15 years like the other kind of people. And I think that's something that's interestingly grown in the last five to 10 years. People are, like I mentioned, we have so many startups and businesses that keep just popping up every day that it's very easy for someone to say, hey, you know, if this job is not working out for me, I can just take another one. Or I've learned enough here, I've reached my saturation here and I want to move on to something else. I see very funnily almost pretty much, I think 80% of the marketing team here are people who have not studied marketing or business. They are engineers, software engineers who are doing marketing, civil engineers who are doing marketing. So it's very interesting that way. I've seen a lot of people who have studied engineering, have studied software, and they ended up you know, taking a bank job or taking up a marketing job or taking up something which was completely out of their domain. So I think that's what the situation is like. When we organise these podcasts, we often share some information about what it is that we might discuss. A subject that Swahili brought up was the fact that she has ADHD, or Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. Not being too familiar with this and how it manifests itself, I asked her to explain more about it. I found out that I have ADHD, I think, about four or five years ago when I was just in like high school. And when I actually spoke to a, profession, a mental health professional, I spoke to a psychologist, I described to her all the symptoms that I was having, what I was feeling, and then she told me that this is ADHD. And what was ironic was that these were symptoms that I've been feeling from a very young age, but I never really knew that it, was, it could be a condition or it had a name for it. The, I think the first time I even heard about something called ADHD, it was in this YouTube video by this YouTuber called Ryan Higa. It was a very, he's a very humorous and a very funny YouTuber. And I remember going up and searching about it and I read the full form, you know, attention deficit and hyperactivity disorder. And I genuinely remember thinking that this means that the person with ADHD wants a lot of attention. That's what I got from it. I did not think that it could mean anything more than that purely because of how, of the words that were in the abbreviation. And it wasn't until I actually spoke to professionals that I realized that this is not what I thought it was. It's so much more different. It has so many other aspects to it that I have been facing that I never really put a name to. So, yeah, that's pretty much how I found out that uh, I have ADHD. And I think I, it really became a challenge for me after I started working. And even to a certain extent, towards the end of my degree, towards the end of my college days, because we used to have very little that was actually useful for us in terms of education. It was mainly theoretical and, you know, just 
mugging up right the day the day before the exam and going up writing whatever you could think about in passing it was never about you know what did you learn or or about skills that could be measured so yeah i think that's when it became a little challenging for me and it definitely definitely flared up after i started working because this was something that i was completely not used to you know we would have these classes in college which was supposed to you know teach you how to be in a work in a work environment but i don't think they helped one bit they they spoke about soft skills and how to approach people and they made us do a lot of group discussions and a lot of iq tests but no one told me how to do a proper google search or no one told me what keywords were or no one told me about tools like asana or how excel works or so many things that are so minute but i use every day right now and so transitioning to work from there was it was someone had just like burst this bubble that i was living in in terms of what my perception of work was and there was this flow of all these small nitty gritty things that adhd does to you which started flaring up after i started working i found it particularly hard to focus which has always been a problem for me be it focus be it in terms of i have a little bit of audio sensitivity sometimes it's only specific times when something really starts annoying me like a very small noise and i can never really know when it's going to affect me or not so that was also something that a problem was right when i was starting i couldn't really focus on the multiple things that was given to me and i think in a lot of ways it also affected my memory so i was not really good at remembering a lot of things and that's when i got into the habit of sort of noting things down making sure i have uh, a to do list or like notes always 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 open i have like billions of notes on my laptop i do not know what i would do without my mac honestly if someone asked me a question about work i'd be completely blank i have to open my laptop you know sort of get that context and then be able to answer someone so that's pretty much how my journey with adhd so far has been yeah i think one main thing was i always thought that i'm someone who zones out a lot if you know what i mean and people would tell me things and i know i'm listening to them but when they asked me 5 minutes later what they th- what i thought about it i wouldn't even remember what they were talking about and it it used to freak me out because i thought man i have like a memory issue or something's wrong with me and i can't remember these things and then later i found out that there is something called disassociation which is uh, a part of uh, adhd where you tend to just sort of lose focus on what you're doing and completely start thinking about something else or you get super distracted by something else i remember a lot of days when i would maybe like have an exam the next day and i just would not study no matter what i did i would sit and read books or like sit and draw stuff or do nothing just stare into space and start thinking about situations that like you know stuff like hey what if i was a ninja what if i knew how to fly stupid things like that and now when i think back i realize it was just my brain just trying to distract me and me getting into it and yeah i think that's something that when i look back really makes me think oh you know that was a part of adhd um i also used to tap my legs a lot while i was sitting down anywhere and i should just be fidgety in general and all of these small things i realized later that you know it's part of something it's part of something bigger and it's not just a very small thing and all of this together really affects my productivity and even the frame of mind that i'm in so it's important that i acknowledge them and work on them i don't know about elsewhere in the world and i'm not saying that the provision is perfect but a child in the uk who exhibits signs of adhd might be referred 
by a teacher to someone who has a greater expertise in helping them manage it. Was this the case in India as well? It was pretty much the provision. So that I was in a school where anyone who was a little different would it wasn't considered a condition. And it's actually pretty sad, you know, there was not a lot of empathy to go around in, in terms of teachers or anybody in school. We didn't really have a counselor or anyone who we could go and talk to about these kind of things. I remember, I think I had a friend who had something called a fix where she would just start shaking out of nowhere and she would not be able to deal. And a lot of people would sort of isolate her for no reason because they didn't know enough about it. I remember when I had my... I realize now that that was an anxiety attack, but I didn't realize it at that point. I had one when I was in the eighth or ninth grade. And I just got so scared about what was happening with me that I started pulling my hair out. And all the teachers thought that I was just being a little dramatic. And you know, they gave me water and then they sat down and said, you know, you can't behave like this. This is not cool. If you have a problem, you can't just start screaming and trying to do drama about it. You have to pull yourself together. And now when I look back, it's, I genuinely, I feel like if I'd known that that was just a panic attack or an anxiety attack, I could have dealt with it so much, so much easier. You know, when I was in my college, uh, a lot of my friends developed a lot of mental health issues because of just how, I think, toxic college can be sometimes. And I felt glad that I'd learned about ADHD and about other mental, mental health conditions by then because I was able to help them. I was able to help them recognize that this is a panic attack, that this is an anxiety attack, and it's completely normal, and it's completely okay for you to have this and feel so overwhelmed. And this is how you can deal with it. This is how you can be consoled. This is what you can do to get over it. You need to drink some water. You need to have some food. And yeah, I feel like the lack of that in my school, in my education system, sort of helped me to inculcate that habit by myself. You know, since we didn't have that when I was in school, it sort of pushed me to learn more about it later and recognize it for other people. It sounds like Swahili had to do a lot of self-discovery in order to understand ways that she might manage her ADHD. Well, this must have been very hard, working this all out for herself. How did she cope with this? it was definitely a learning curve and it took me quite some time to settle into the, into the rhythm of everything. My first two months went pretty slowly. It was mainly me getting, getting to know the product better, getting to know the WordPress industry as a whole better. So it helped that I took things slow and I was allowed to take things slow. I think what's most important for anyone with not just a mental health issue, but even an issue like ADHD or ADD or anything that's, that makes them think differently what really helps is having people who you can communicate that to and be open about. I think for the first four or five months, I didn't really tell anyone about this at work. I didn't express how difficult things were being for me. And now when I look back, I realize that was probably my fault and I should have actually opened up. But after a while, I sort of told my boss about it. I um, spoke to him about it and I told him that, you know, I actually feel like there's like something, I'm facing mental health issues because of which I'm not able to be as productive as I want. Honestly, I feel so glad that I did that right now because I think that also set the tone for him as well. He got to know, he sort of understood why I was even being as productive as I was or not as productive as I could be. And he really just gave me tasks and goals that he changed my goals and tasks, aligned it in a different way so that it would be easier for me to meet them. And the flexibility of moving from outreach to content to PR to SEO now 
that's really helped me because the main issue for me is that I can't focus on one thing for a very long time. I have these bouts of extreme super focus, but most of the time I'm not able to focus on one thing. So it, it helps when I have like multiple things to do in one day. So even if I don't feel like doing something right now, I can at least try something else. I can at least start with that and then come back to this and juggle between them. So I think having someone to communicate and be open about this, especially uh, someone who's in your upper management or someone that you're reporting to, really helps because I think that's how any company should be. The only way an employer can get an employee to work is by giving them work that is suitable to their mental bandwidth, to their headspace. So I think that's really helped. And a few other things that I incorporated was just trying to sleep better, trying to get as much rest as possible. I started doing yoga, which was really, really helpful in terms of making myself calm down. Meditation, I started using a subscription of Headspace, and they've they've actually got some pretty good stuff right now. Headspace is this meditation app that you can use, and they've really sort of ventured into productivity, into habits, into building habits, into so many things than what they used to be now. So it's definitely an app that's helped me a lot. Other habits like noting things down, like I mentioned, and just checking in with myself a few times during the day, taking a break, going for a walk. My usual schedule now is to come into office, plan my entire day out, probably have a one-on-one with Ritesh and just tell him what I'm trying to do, you know, so we can just sort out if there's any other way to short circuit what my tasks are or if I need any help anywhere. And then I start my day, I make sure that I take a break every hour, I just go for a walk or get some water or just eat something or go talk to someone outside. Then I think we have lunch around 1 or 2 p.m. And then we go for like, I go for a long walk with one of my colleagues and we just talk and we get, we drink some coconut water or whatever we want. And we come back and then we take another break around 5 p.m. So I think these taking these breaks also really helped. I remember in the beginning, I was very overwhelmed. So I would you know, come into office at 8 a.m. or 9 a.m. and not leave till almost 8 p.m. or 9 p.m. So that was almost 12 hours that I was putting in every day. And that really took a toll on me because I would just go back home so exhausted, just sleep. And another issue that I used to have was about of insomnia, which keeps coming up here and there. So when I couldn't sleep, it really took a toll on me in terms of productivity the next day. If I wasn't able to sleep from at least six hours, I would be groggy the next day, the entire day. And I need a lot of coffee. But I think some way I've just made my way through it. There was a mental health a counselor that I was seeing, a psychologist that I was seeing. But we didn't focus on ADHD as much. We were focusing on other mental health issues that I had. But somewhere that also helped with the ADHD a very big part of it was just checking in with myself and to see how I'm doing a few times a day. Yeah, there were a lot, there are a lot of apps that you can use as well. I think that's one really good thing about how digitalization has come up right now. You have an app for pretty much everything. I have an app that reminds me to drink water. I have an app that checks in with my mood. I have Headspace. I have an app for a to-do list. I don't know the name of it now, but I will find that and tell you. It makes the to-do list into a game. So it, it makes all the tasks that you have into this sort of game where for every task you finish you get coins and then you have these multiplayer things and you know you can get different skins and different clothes and jazz up your character as much as you want so I think that also makes it fun but again I reach saturation pretty quickly that's a bit of a challenge to keep finding something to stay motivated opening up to the people at your work that you have mental health concerns can be tough If you need to speak to your boss, that can be even more difficult. 
You don't want them to misunderstand or react in a way that isn't in everyone's best interests. How did Swahili manage those conversations? Were they hard to have? It really was at the time. And if I have to be very honest, I still feel very scared sometimes when I have to go talk to my boss or anyone around me. I, you know, I have, like, I think about 10 times, I think things through, I start overthinking, is this even okay to talk about or what are they going to think about me if I say this to them? But I'm glad that I finally did it in the end. It was very hard. It took about four months of feeling misunderstood for me to just pluck up the courage to go and say, you know what, hey, you've been misunderstanding me. This this is what my issue is and I need help with this. I think the main problem was just admitting that I need help from someone else because I always feel like when you admit that you need help, people may look at you as someone who's weaker. I haven't spoken to him about it, so I don't know if he looks at me that way. But thankfully, I guess I'm lucky that way that he was willing to understand. And he always tells me that this is not something I know anything about. So, you know, the more you tell me, the more I might understand it myself and it would help me with other people as well and with you. So I think it, it really helped that I had someone who was this open-minded or who was at least willing to try and communicate and try and navigate the problems that I was having. But I think it can definitely be a challenge otherwise. I have a lot of friends who are facing similar issues, but they can't really talk to their bosses. Specifically, you know, in jobs which are very target-oriented, like sales, for example, where you have targets to meet every week or every month. And it's really hard to go up to someone and say, hey, I didn't meet my targets this month. I didn't make enough money for the company this month because I was not doing well mentally. Because I think sales is a very cutthroat job, at least from what I've seen in India. And people don't really care about what is causing problems. They just care about the output. They just care that you did not get enough money and that you did not meet your targets. And they just put a lot of pressure on you. And that works out negatively for most people. It doesn't help. It doesn't help someone who's in that situation if you just put more pressure on them. So it's just about trying to be more aware about things. It's so great that we have something like WPMAP because purely because of how how much it's grown and how much more people are talking about it, I feel like there are more people in the WordPress industry recognizing and admitting that something called mental health conditions and that it's very, very prevalent and it can happen to anybody. So I think organizations like this in each industry will really help uh, professionals deal with things better. Like I said, it took almost four months before I could actually muster up the courage to go talk to them. But I'm glad that I did, ultimately. And I think even around a few months back, I was again in this very low productivity phase. And I came clean and I told them that, you know, there's something that's been up because of which I'm not really able to focus as much. And we tried to change that. So previously, we were more task oriented in terms of tasks that I have every day or the tasks that I have every week. We changed the business model a little to being more goal oriented. So I think that really gave me a lot of freedom. So instead of me having to do these, these specific tasks every month, it was more on the lines of meeting certain goals. So, you know, how I meet those goals or what I do to meet those goals is completely on me. I get to plan all of it out myself. I get to give myself the space that I want. I get to time it however I want. And I think that's really helpful. Me. That's really helpful. You know, I, I make it a point to uh, a lot hours in Google Calendar every day so that I know what I'm doing. And that's a very good skill that I've developed which can really help me even in my personal life, you know, rather than just doing tasks every day 
it's better to have a goal or have something that you're working towards and align your work towards that. At this point, we decided to end the recording. That is, until Swahili suddenly remembered something. It'd be okay if you just add a little bit something. You know, there were a few people I've been speaking to recently that I've that I'm really grateful to to just have as a part of the community. Maybe I haven't had a lot of conversation with them, but just knowing that these people exist and that that the projects they're working on has been really helpful. So I just want to like sort of I don't know give a shout out if that's okay. And there are actually people that I'm sure you're familiar with. There's Michelle Fischet. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it wrong. Uh, her second name. She's from uh, GiveWP. She's, I think, the head of customer success there. So she has this kindness project that she's been working on where I think every week she doles out thoughts about kindness. And she does a lot of different things. And I find it so amazing that this person has so much energy and the, the mental bandwidth to do all the different projects that she's involved in. So yeah, I think that's someone. I just want to mention that she's someone that I really look up to. Two other people from GiveWP actually there's Michelle. There's someone called Ali Nimmins. Just a lot of beautiful women that I'm really happy to hear about. There's the Women in WP podcast that we're actually sponsoring by Angela Bauman, and I love that podcast. I love listening to all these different women in so many different places. There was this recent one with Mary Job from Nigeria, and she spoke about how the tech community is there. And insane that despite being a, a niche, you know, WordPress is still a niche at the end of the day, despite that, there are thousands of people, millions of people across the world working in this community and so many women who are, you know, working in tech and doing such incredible things. So it's really nice to have such kind of people around. And I think the community is, is one of the best communities I've seen. They're, they're very, very sweet. They're very caring. And it's so nice to be able to talk to someone. So, yeah, I'm definitely, I just want to mention that I'm really glad to be a part of a community like this. One of the purposes of the Press Forward podcast is to lift the lid on topics that don't get talked about enough to allow people to share their stories so that others might understand. There are other people out there who have faced the same situation that you are facing. they found a way through and can offer support to you on your journey. Maybe that person's already in your life, but they may not be, and that's what WPNUP is here for, to connect you with the support that you need. So if you are able to, please help us so that we can continue to support the WordPress community. You can donate at wpnop.org forward slash donate. That's it for this week. Please let us know if you're enjoying the podcast, if you're finding it useful or helpful. You can reach out to us at wpnop.org forward slash contact. There's a serious point to all of this though. And that is that WPNOP is here to provide help and support. That help's available for you or the people that you know and can be easily accessed at the WPNOP.org website. Please spread the word about this podcast. Tell your friends and subscribe on your favourite podcast player. And remember that together we can hashtag press forward. Mm-hmm.